Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, joining you as always, your humble host for today's proceedings. And today's proceedings is a special one because it's a lace only one. But what we're doing is we are going to talk a little bit about a white paper we've just launched. Now, the white paper is part of a wider campaign that we are also going to be launching for this beginning of 2024. I'll get the my wonderful laces to explain a little bit about both in a second. But before I do that, I might as well introduce them. I will start ladies first. It's Alice McCormack, who works at Team Lace. Alice, how are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, making your podcast debut, although you have done video stuff with us before, haven't you? I have, yeah, my first podcast, so I'm very excited. This is the first podcast for you, and we've got a podcast pro and a video pro as well who's done a few. It's uh, Julian Holmes, who is from our exec director team. Julian, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And, and thanks so much for bigging me up, Chris. I hope I can live up to your introduction. Yeah, well, you've already been more successful to me because if we let the listener in behind the screen, uh, I've already done this intro about three times because I messed up. So if you ever think that my intros sound polish, I know they don't, but if you ever do, they really aren't. And I often mess them up quite frequently. Now, as is becoming a little tradition, which I introduced in 2024, because we are a fundamentally different HR consultancy, I like to ask a fundamentally different question just to get our guests going. So my question today is about cheese. So I've just come off of the back of a couple of nice holidays, including Christmas, and I had my fair share of cheese. And I have to say, cheddar is the best. So Julian, first, I'll start with you. Can you tell me what your favourite is and why it is cheddar? <laughs> Actually, you've timed this well because I've just had a really weird cheddar, which was in like black wax and the cheese itself was actually black. I think it's got like carbon in it or something like that. It was really, really good. So as cheddars go, I have to say that was one of the best cheddars that I've ever had. It's going to sound very fancy now. I like a bit of dolce lata. I'm very, very fond of blue cheese and I like dolce lata because it's creamy and delicious. So that's that's my current favourite. Well, thank you for taking an attempted really posh word, Italian word, I believe, and turning it into something from the East End of London. So very <laughs> nice. But uh, I shall put that onto my list. Alice, what's the best cheese and why is it cheddar? <laughs> I do love cheddar, but I, I think you can't go wrong with a bit of brie. So, yeah, I do love a bit of brie. Cheese crackers, brie. You know. Do you put grapes with that, Alice? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Grapes, you chutney. I it's mean, like the rules. Probably, if anyone, anyone's French, he's listening to this, is probably, you know, not enjoying it. But I love a bit of brie. Well, now that's made me hungry. But uh, we are going to talk and focus on the excitement that is of a new white, a new white paper we just launched. At the time of recording, we are in the process of launching. But when this goes out, our fabulous white paper will already have been released. It's called CPOs from HR to Business Transformation. It's been written by a number of people within the team, including the two wonderful guests, guests or co-hosts. I guess when you're laces, you're probably co-host, but who have uh, who have compiled it today. 
what I want to do is just kick us off by just talking about it. So we're not going to give you chapter and verse about each of the different reports and we'll put in the show notes that you can actually, the link so you can actually download the white paper itself. The white paper, as I said, is part of the campaign. So what we're going to do first is I'm just going to get Julian to give us a kind of 50,000 foot helicopter view type thing of why we decided to write the white paper. White paper. And then uh, I'm going to get Alice to talk a little bit about a couple of the types of people who we interviewed and then also how it links to our campaign as well. So Julian, if you can kick us off. I've been with LACE just over 12 months now. And I would say quite early on after I joined was we had a lot of requests from clients, from chief people officers, from their HR leadership teams who were asking us questions about my businesses is doing a lot of change at the moment, a lot of transformation. Sometimes they would use that word. And we're really struggling to create the capacity and sometimes get hold of the right right skill set to be able to support the business so could you help us with that problem and really that just sort of got us thinking about you know well what is the role of hr in transformation now as consultants we love to make stuff up but crazily we thought rather than just making up the answer what we're in that we would do is that we would actually interview some clients, some people that we knew in the market and see what they thought about the topic. So it's a white paper, but actually it's not an opinion piece. It's genuinely feedback from about 30 individuals in the market that we spoke to. And I don't know, Alice, do you want to jump in and maybe talk about some of the types of people we spoke to and maybe some of the industries? Yeah, definitely. And I think it was around about the summer of 23 that we kind of undertook talking to, I think it was 30 or maybe just over. And it was a range of individuals, really, from kind of HR leaders, business execs and transformation specialists, particularly focusing on those in senior roles, ranging from organisations that might have been pretty stable and seeking efficiency to large scale enterprises kind of undergoing quite complex transformations spanning multi-sites, countries, workforce segments in all industries from, I think it was, I think we spoke to mining, electronics, web. Was there any others, Julian? Pharma, telecoms. So not only was it a range of industries we spoke to, we also spoke to kind of a range of roles. So from your CPOs to your transformation specialists, to your business leaders as well, we really wanted to take a kind of multifaceted lens of who we spoke to that might be going through some kind of business transformation. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And Julian mentioned earlier, he said our thinking around why we wanted to produce this is almost to to look outward at the industry and see what people are telling us. And we want to really bring that now. We want to bring a bit more lace colour and life to it, don't we, in terms of, okay, well, that's what the market have told us. And so over the next coming months, we're going to be producing some of our own stuff, which then almost helps to support some of these perspectives. So can you just touch a little bit on that? And that, of course, links to the next campaign that we've got. This, as you said, coincides with our next campaign, which is all around kind of demystifying HR operating models and how HR functions can set themselves up for success, I guess, to support business transformation. There is a lot of noise as it relates to HR operating models that are out there in the market. There's a lot of kind of points of view and it can actually be quite conflicting at times. So our aim in the next campaign is to kind of to unravel this complexity. We want to offer kind of that agnostic view, but also 
kind of demystify what's out there and showcase that sometimes there isn't a one size fits all approach through some of our materials and our thought leadership that we will be producing in the next few months. What I want to do now is just delve into a couple of the individual sections themselves. I'll, I'll go kind of chronologically based on uh, how we talk about it in sort of a report. So, Julian, I want to bring you in on this one and talk specifically about the change transformation as business as usual section. There was an interesting chart that we've put together. Can you just give us a bit of a flavour or give our listeners a bit of a flavour of the types of things we talked about when we're looking at the types of business changes that different interviewees faced? Yeah, that's right. One of the things I think actually everybody apart from on the interview, and I will come back to that person, everybody agreed that really it feels like the uh, the pace of change and the extent of change is, is, is accelerating. So I think at one point, perhaps when I was earlier on in my career, the idea was that transformation was a bit of an event and it would happen once and then the, the business would enter some period of stability. And I think pretty much everybody that we interviewed just said, we don't see any end in sight. So whether that is improving the technology that the business use, whether that's M&A or divestment, whether that's launching new products or improving, you know, customer proposition and value. You know, there's so many, there's so much competition these days and other external pressures, political changes in, in customer behavior, technology changes, things like AI. And of course, the pandemic is still still in, in people's minds. So this idea that, that technology um, or rather that transformation is something that businesses undertake all the time means I think that whereas before at least perhaps some people functions some HR functions would think their role is to support this sort of business on, on a business as usual basis the sort of to focus on what is the continuity of the business and the things that the business needs to do to incrementally improve I think what is happening now is that the business is saying guess what we've got a, a huge agenda to deliver in terms you know we really need to change what we're doing and therefore our workforce needs to change our people needs to change and HR would really like your help so actually this is a huge opportunity for HR to uh, step up and if, if ever you know hate that phrase but you know HR wants a seat at seat at the table actually business transformation and particularly how the, how the people and the workforce needs to change to meet that transformation is a key topic I will mention just the one person who said I don't like transformation don't know what you're talking about and and we, we do the case study in the paper and essentially uh, I'm picking what that individual said is that they had in my view a very mature HR function where they just said well actually things like making big changes to our supply chain launching new products changing our technology it's just what we do it's just part of business it is business as usual so although they didn't like the word transformation I would say that perhaps they were an example of a business that's really embraced it in particular their HR function just sees it as a core part of their role so I thought that was a an interesting take on the, on the question. Yeah. Alice, I saw a little bit of a furious nodding there, so I'll let you jump in and if you want to just put anything on top of that before then I want to move us on to talk about the run building the vol, which I'll come back to you on, Julian. But Alice. Yeah, I um, completely agree with what Julian said. I think it's a was a really good summary of kind of how we spent our summer and speaking to those involved. I think it was really varied depending on who we spoke to in kind of how they viewed people transformation as Julian kind of alluded to. And it also depended where they were as a business. So that kind of came out strongly that we kind of go into into the case study and into the white paper, sorry, and give that bit of context. And I think we kind of start to share then the impact then on the people function and the types mm. of different focus areas and capabilities that you need to almost 
run transformation as it is business as usual. We've got quite a bit to get through, so I'm going to move us on. Julian, run, build or evolve. Can you just give us, a again, just touch on a few bits as to what we're talking about in this section? So again, back in the day, there was a model used to be called uh, in financial services, it used to be called run the bank and build the bank. So the idea was, was that the bank and the leadership team needed to focus on on running the bank to deliver today's profits. And then, you know, sometimes not always, but somewhere over there, there would be another team who were delivering some sort of transformation program, which would then be handed over to the business. That was the sort of language that was used. And there was real pushback. I mean, particularly from the people we interviewed who've held business roles as opposed to HR roles, saying they feel that that model is very outdated now and that really execs need to take accountability really for both delivering today's results and delivering tomorrow's results and therefore you know the role of hr and and other functions involved in transformation is to empower and enable and, and and deliver products and services to let the business make that transformational change but not do it in spite of the business or somehow apart from the business hence the sort of the idea of actually you're sort of helping the business to evolve and you're acting as a change agent rather than it being done on a standalone basis yeah and julian obviously you just mentioned as you were just talking there the role of hr in workforce transformation which is one of the sections that we have in the report a couple of interesting quotes from there one of which really stood out to me was one of the respondents said hr functions they have all of the pieces but they're still jumbled up and we also asked a couple of interesting challenge questions in there silas i'll just get some thoughts from you on this section and those those challenge questions around what does what role does your hr team play in business transformation do you support the transformation or do you just shape it so just some thoughts there and particularly um with what they were talking about when they're talking about you know hr has all the pieces but they're still a bit jumbled up yeah and it did come out quite strongly particularly around hr has many of the components whether that's within the coes so org design strategic workforce planning talent but they one not necessarily aligned to the commercial outcomes or what the business is driving for. And then two, they don't align to each other. So a lot of the times they're not speaking to each other and working together on how they can support, whether that's workforce transformation or business as usual. There is a lot of kind of appetite and opportunity for them to work more effectively. Yeah, definitely. Julian, I don't want to cut you out of that. So just any thoughts on that? No, I really don't. I don't have much to add other than I think it's super interesting is that as we look forward to some of the models that the people are exploring is they are trying to figure out ways that they can work in concert much more and be much better business aligned in terms of how they deliver that those sort of workforce transformation services. So I think there is an awareness with some of our clients that there's a huge opportunity there. But there are other, there are other other people we interviewed where it was very clear those gaps and that lack of alignment unfortunately is there yeah certainly okay so you just talked about that different type of roles and that's a key section of the report so i'll go back to alice and i'm going to alternate between the two of you guys on this one but can you alice just give our listeners a bit of a an overview because we talk about the role of hrbps why aren't they playing as well? Why aren't they playing a greater role in transformation based on the responses, the role of centres of excellence as well, and also shared services and inevitably third parties? So, but we'll start off, just give us a minute or so on the HRBPs and the roles of the HRBPs and what our respondents were talking to us about. Yeah, the role of the business partners is an interesting one. And we had, I guess, varied responses and really good debate on the topic. And I 
probably think it should have a podcast on its own right because I think we could probably fill 30 to 40 minutes of the role of the business partner. But essentially, we had varied perceptions of how impactful the HR business partners could be. And it's because there was a lot of different approaches. And this was mainly down to kind of mixture of capabilities. So sometimes transformation is not in their skill set and they're asking to be, you know, leading workforce transformation and not necessarily have the experience, skills or capabilities to do so. The other could be appetite. It's not always somewhat something that someone wants to kind of you know, work on or or be a part of, which I think is absolutely fine. But also it's around mindset. So it does require a slightly different mindset in how you kind of go about transformation, how you work in transformation, how you deliver to a, you know, set business case, et cetera. And that's different to a day-to-day business partnering role. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So Julian, I want to get your views on the role of centres of excellence. I love that somebody described it as they could be, they can become ivory towers that are disconnected from HR and the rest of the business. Was that the general perspective from uh, most of the people no. you spoke to? No. Let's be realistic, right? I mean, I mean, these these roles, these centres of excellence role, are, are often extremely challenging. I mean, mm. there can be far more work and far more demand than the function is sort of resourced or, or has the capability to deliver. So, one of the things, the things I think really important to understand is that from a business perspective, they might have an appreciation, but it's not their primary concern about where these different capabilities are or who these capabilities are or the distinction between these capabilities. What they really want from HR in many cases, not all cases in many cases, but is a a one-stop shop to support what the business needs to be able to do their transformation. And I think the, the, the challenge with that is, is that often firms struggle having the right governance model because you're really working on a cross-business unit, cross-geography, cross-functional model. So I think one of the things that came out where at least the clients, where they were more confident that they cracked this problem is that they had a governance model that really let, that let them prioritise where these centres of excellence were focusing their attention and always making sure that they were reviewing, they were helping the business to prioritise, they were helping the business to make choices about, you know, where their effort was spent. And of course, through time, those centres of excellence increasingly be able to play a shaping role with the business about what are the things that the business should be paying attention to that are not necessarily things that are immediately on their mind as well. So that's where I think, I think you know, perhaps some of the learnings were from, from some prior interviewees. Yeah, and certainly when they're able to then be part of that shaping and almost thinking business holistically rather than in their individual sections, it goes back to the earlier chapter that we talked about, which is aligning the goals to those commercial outcomes of the business as well. Alice, we talked about shared services and the role of shared services as well. I always find this an interesting one because, of course, we've got our shared services community that we get together. And when we speak to those guys, a lot of what they were talking, what's talked about in here was born out of some of the conversations that we have with some of those forum meetings that we have. But can you just touch on just some of the some of the perspectives from the interviewees about the shared services function they have and what their focuses are on? Yeah, and I'm, I'll be actually interested in the upcoming HR shared services trends that are going to come live as well in the next couple of months and seeing the kind of connection between transformation and the white paper that will be shared in the next few months as well. But when we spoke 
to kind of our interviewees and started to probe them about the role of shared services. I'm not sure if you agree, Julian, but at times they kind of shared that shared services is, is kind of like one of the last thoughts as they go through workforce transformation, mainly because it is very operational. You know, they are kind of undergoing activities such as updating employment records, you know, doing payroll, things like that, and not being potentially at the forefront of some of the conversations around, you know, how can the shared service model adapt if we are changing the workforce? Does that mean you need to change business units, geography, worker demographics, things like that? Were some of the elements or questions that the um, interviews started to ask us, but also we had a bit of a debate on? Julian, I'm not sure if you uh, have anything to add. Yeah. And again, though, what was what was interesting was we did have other interviews where they said, actually, our shared services team is a really well-oiled machine. Like they're very, very capable. We know how to adjust the contract for businesses that we're acquiring. We're very happy to do payroll harmonization and so on and so forth. So again, it, it was almost like, you know, some of the people we interviewed, their shared, shared services was set up to support the fact that the business was going to change, whereas others, you know, were perhaps more reactive, you know, there, there was more of a constraint of being able to, to support the business need. So I think that's kind of interesting is for you as a client, you know, how how capable are you at adjusting your shared service offering? And, you know, is that appropriate given the level of business change that you should be anticipating? We also talk about the role of third parties. I don't really want to touch on this too much because I don't want it to seem like we're going for a, a massive lace plug. But one of the interesting things that I think then links, and Julian, I'd like to keep you on this one, if that's okay. One of the things that is linked to this, because it said many of our respondents kind of hire ex-consultants in themselves. And then we also then talk about the Workforce Transformation Office. So can you just give a bit of an overview there? Because I thought that was quite interesting and perhaps the sees how the two are linked. If you look at many aspects of things that consulting firms do for clients, I think inevitably when a client recognises that it's, it's actually it's just something that they need to be able to do all the time, inevitably they're going to start building some of that capability in-house, whether that's, um, you know, retraining people within their business or it, it could well be getting expertise from from people who are ex-consulting firms. So I think that's very natural. I think one of the things that sort of changed is is just the increase in both sort of data, but also tools and solutions to help modelling how your workforce might need to change, whether that's from an OD perspective, or an SWP perspective, or even talent and skills perspective. So I think it makes sense for clients where they know they've got a big business transformation agenda and a big workforce transformation agenda to start thinking about, well, how can we build our capability and carry it at the right cost to be able to support our, our you know, should we say the 80% of our needs? And then they might draw down more resources or specialist skill sets as and when they need them for specific circumstances. And that strikes me as being quite a sensible thing, you know, particularly uh, larger and more complex clients to consider. Yeah, exactly. And, and if we think about what we started off right at the top of the pod and we were talking about change as business as usual, transformation as business as usual, then why would you not have like that kind of that specific function? And admittedly, you, you then dial up and dial down the requirements based on you know where you're at as a business, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're still good. And, you know, Alice will probably sort of smile when I say this, right? So I think there are still some circumstances when it makes sense to use third parties, particularly if what you're doing is, let's say, sensitive and controversial and political, you know, so I don't think that side of the consulting input will go away. But yeah, it's some of the execution, some of the design, I think there are things that could be done more in-house by clients, but obviously, you know, but they need help in building that capability and, and making sure they can deliver at the right quality and, and again what the business needs yeah alice i don't want to cut you out of that because we're just reaching towards the end of the pod but just any final thoughts from that perspective this kind of workforce transformation office and then flexing that capability up and down yeah and it's a hot topic definitely because you're seeing some more i guess in-house roles in those areas like organizational design or she workforce planning and also kind of running the transformation office as well i think my, I guess, landing on it and just to follow on what Julian said, businesses are starting to embed and create a workforce transformation office. But what they're not doing, and particularly as it relates to business change, is building that capability and continuing to do so. So as we said at right beginning of the pod, bit change is almost kind of business as usual, but that also means capability upskilling is as well, because change is never stagnant and change is so many different things across the business, which is what we're seeing when we kind of go in and, and work with clients, particularly on HR transformation. It's, I guess, the business is thinking that you can do change, do it well, and, and then kind of the, the third party consultants can leave. But actually it's it's ongoing and it's constant and it's how do you equip your workforce correctly and, and motivating them to know that change is, is never constant. Yeah, exactly. We are just out of time, but I didn't want to kind of cut you guys out if there's any other final bits that you just wanted to pick up on that maybe we haven't covered today. Julian, was there anything from the report that you just kind of want to leave our guests with that we haven't kind of covered today? I think in many ways, I think the report is actually great news for HR. Transformation is not going away. The business wants help. They know workforce is important and they're looking to HR to help them. So I really think that's a, a fantastic opportunity. And, um, you know, of course, we're super interested in hearing from any of your listeners about their experiences in this field and and perhaps just carrying on the conversation as we um, as we go through this campaign. Absolutely. Alice? Yeah, just to echo that, really. I mean, this is the start of kind of reviewing um, and engaging with either uh, clients or future clients as it relates to HR operating models and workforce transformation. We've got some great stuff in the pipeline that we are really excited to share across our kind of media channels. I'm really keen to get them engaged and get their views because there is a lot out there. That's fantastic. We will put the link to the paper itself in the show notes and you'll be able to access our campaign as well because we'll launch it at the same time. And as Alice said, and as Julian mentioned as well, we'll be doing a whole variety of different perspectives, both from we've got the external perspective, which is this white paper. We'll be giving a lace perspective as well. But there'll also be another external perspective as we go through our campaign when we start to look. We delve, we do delve into this HR shared services trend because we did a report in 2022, which we looked at some of the big trends. And you know, back then we were talking about AI, but how has AI, for example, evolved? What are, our, are more of our the people that we speak to, our friends and, uh, and colleagues that we speak to within some of the businesses that we work with? Are they seeing rapid changes or what are those changes or what are the expectations? But just to wrap up for today, just want to say thank you very much, Alice, for joining me. Thank you very much, Alice. 
Thanks, Chris, for having me on my first podcast. Yes, and will not be the last. I'll be dragging you on for more. Don't worry about that. And Julian, as always, pleasure to have you, sir. Thanks so much, Chris. And thanks for doing my last podcast with me. <laughs> no, you'll be dragged. You'll be dragged on. You'll be dragged on as well. If you want to find out about any of our back catalogue of podcasts, you can go to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can also find us on places like SoundCloud, Spotify. We're on your Amazon Alexa device, all those normal places that you find podcasts. But for now, from Alice, from Julian and from myself, thank you very much for listening. And hopefully we'll see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.